Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. First Peter, we're in chapter 4, starting in verse 12. We're going to teach 12 through 19 today. In a very short amount of time, but that's okay because there's a very pointed message here. And the message that we have today is the suffering servant. So last time we were together, we talked about what it is to be an ended-minded people. That, that there is an end coming. That we are to stand strong because Christ is coming back for His people. Amen. And I want us to, to stand on that hope. This is the hope that we have. This is the the expectation that we have. This is the thrill that, that we're anticipating. This is the love that we have yet to, to see. This is, this is what we strive for. This is what we discipline our bodies for. This hope, this magnificence that Jesus Christ hasn't forgotten us. And so because of that, we're an ending-minded people, always keeping the end in mind. This becomes incredibly important to us as we recognize that as I said last time, we are living in a post-Christian era. The world doesn't care about Christian values anymore. Matter of fact, I read in USA Today, I didn't read USA Today, I read that USA said today that Christian values are now archaic and have no relevant relevance to, to modern society. That just makes me so mad. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, the word Christian values couldn't be more relevant than they are right now. I've watched, I've watched our world in the very short amount of time I've lived in it in regard to history just degrade and degrade and degrade. I've, I don't know, I didn't watch the Grammys, but I've seen some pictures from the Grammy Awards. And they celebrate things that just one generation ago we would have been mortified by. Like you couldn't pay for on pay-per-view. They're showing on public access TV. And it blows my mind that there's a destruction of life in a, in a society that says it's okay to kill a child even the day that it is supposed to be born. And then if you decide after it's born, they're trying to push legislation that after it's born, if you decide you don't want it, They'll either kill it for you or allow it to stay on the table and starve to death. This is the, we're, this is the society we live in. And so I tell you, this post-Christian society needs a Jesus worse than they've ever needed a Jesus. That, so this, these issues are on and on and on. Gender confusion, gender reassignment. They're unnecessary evils in the world that are trying to reflect us or deflect us from one singular truth that Christianity is relevant, that it is important, that Jesus is coming back, and there will ultimately be a judgment for those, well, for everyone. Regardless of which side you stand on, we need to stand against. Now, I'm not saying take a positional, political, left or right stance. I'm saying we need to start understanding that we have a biblical position to uphold. So in this biblical position, in a society that is determined to normalize 
what this word of God has refuted, as it has told, is a lie. They want to normalize this kind of behavior. And it's it's just gross. I don't I don't know how else to say it. It's it's just gross. But there's a truth. Regardless of what society we live in, regardless of the Grammys, regardless of abortion, regardless of the Equality Act, which is anything but an Equality Act, regardless of all of these things, this is the world Christ died for. Did you hear me? This is the world that Christ died for. This is the world that Jesus suffered for. It's the reason why I asked you at at the beginning of our time together tonight, is Christ's suffering worth your suffering? Because this is what God's called us to do. He's called us to suffer so that a post-Christian world might become a Christian world. And so what did he suffer? In Isaiah 53, you guys are more than familiar with this text because I share it with you regularly. Isaiah 53 is literally titled, The Suffering Servant. And it declares very plainly who Jesus would be, who Jesus is, what Jesus did. Four or five most verse four and five most specifically, surely our briefs he our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, chastened for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we were healed. We are healed. And so we, we read this, and we read this, and we become familiar with it, but we don't recognize that he suffered the worst kind of life and death so that we ultimately, in our hope, wouldn't have to suffer. But until we get to our hope, we should glory in our suffering. Because if Christ suffered, then his suffering is worth our suffering. If we are to be like Jesus, which is what the Bible tells us to do in 1 John 2, 6, then we have to walk as Jesus walked. If Jesus lived a life of suffering, we are to unapologetically stand for the truth as Jesus stood for the truth, walk the truth as Jesus walked the truth, speak the truth as Jesus spoke the truth, and die according to that truth if that's what we're called to do. Not metaphorically, but even physically, should that be the case. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think it's a matter of time before it'll be before Jesus comes back that there will be a time where you may very well have the opportunity to die for your faith. And so First Peter's written to the sufferer. And it's the reason why we beat this theme up over and over and over again, because we should expect to suffer, because Jesus suffered. He was talking to a suffering church. We will be a suffering church and should be a suffering church. Amen? I don't like that. I don't like that either. Jesus didn't like that either. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. But thy will be done, Lord. That should be our prayer too. If there's any other way, I don't want to have to do it. But if, in fact, this is the only way, 
and I submit myself to it. And so we're called, as Jesus was the suffering servant, to be suffering servants. And that's what Peter's talking about in this text today. First Peter 4, starting in verse 12. I want you to listen. If you're, if you're trying to figure out what a passage of Scripture is talking about, if you ever find a word that is repetitive within the text, it's likely that that's, that's the point he's trying to get to. Lane told me today, we were talking this morning in my office, or this afternoon in my office, and he asked me a question and I'd answer it, and he goes, so you just said the long way to say this. He said that through me like three times in a row. Peter's going the long route to tell us one truth, that we're to be suffering servants. And he tells us the long route so that he can repeat himself over and over and over and over again, be willing to suffer. Because we learn through repetition. So in verse 12, he says this. Listen for the common shared word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you were reviled for the name of Christ, you were blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed. But it is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. That freaks me out. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So what's the common word? Suffer. Over and over and over, four or five times in this short amount of time, he says suffer for, suffer with, suffer because of, suffer to show yourself. I know it's a repetitive theme, and I know you guys are all, man, I come in here Wednesday night to, to, to be encouraged. Be encouraged at the fact that at the end of your suffering, there is hope. But I can't, we can't neglect the word because it's uncomfortable to us. We can't dismiss what the Bible tells us because we don't like it. And so Peter gives us three ways in which we are to be suffering servants here. As suffering servants, we're to share in Christ's suffering. Verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal amongst you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also, at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. The fiery ordeal you are involved in is for you. Fiery ordeal literally means the painful experience. Remember who, who Peter's talking to, the scattered church. The set on fire for fun church. He was saying what's happening to you is happening for your benefit. It's a fiery experience. It's a, it's a fiery ordeal. But it's painful 
because it's purifying. It's not a burning up painful experience. It's a purifying experience. It's a proofing experience. It proves the genuineness of our faith. Because it's easy to walk away when things get hard. I've been, I've been recently trying to, trying to be more physically active. And, and I tell you, the first quarter mile, I'm all, I don't want to do this. I want to stop. I want to stop. It gets painful. It hurts. I don't like it. And it would be easy just to step off the treadmill or whatever I'm working on and just be, I'm done with that. I'm not going to sweat today. I'm not going to hurt that way today because I don't have to. But the fact of the matter is it makes me better. In my suffering, in my painful ordeal, it proves the faithfulness of what I'm trying to accomplish, what I'm trying to get to. And the same thing is true in our spiritual life. What are you laughing at? She's Oh, you ain't pushing yourself that hard at the gym. I've watched you. Is that what you just said? No. Uh, anyway, I'm carrying on. But it proves the genuineness of our faith. It proves our hope. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, our suffering, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Our hope doesn't disappoint. I don't want you to focus on the suffering, although it's necessary. I want you to focus on the hope. The hope that we get to spend an eternity with a God that loves us. That, that, lo that doesn't just love us, is love. Focus on the hope that even in your suffering, you'll never experience death. We're about to go into our Easter Sunday next weekend. And we live right now in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. This isn't a only exclusively a future truth. This is a right now reality that we are able to suffer because we have the power of the Holy Ghost living inside of us. Because Jesus died, sent His Spirit to us so that we could walk in that power so that we could walk in that strength, so that we could keep our eye, as Pastor Rick said during the offertory, focused on our task, as Jesus did towards, towards Jerusalem. Our responsibility is to concentrate on our hope. I don't want you to experience death. I don't want you to have to worry about what's happening after you die. I don't want, as Justin Eskew said a couple of times, I don't want my kids to have to be convinced by the pastor at my funeral that I'm, going, that I'm in heaven. I need the experience of my life, the way that I lived it, even to the point of death, to declare to them. I just want the pastor to show up for my funeral to celebrate the incredible things that God was able to do as I submitted. Because I have a hope. I heard it too. I don't know what it is. It wasn't just you. Uh, <laughs> everybody's on. Yes, Lord. But we have a hope. So focus on the hope. Because hope doesn't disappoint. The suffering servant shares Christ's suffering. We endure our, our fiery trials. 
recognizing that, that people are going to hate us. For the same reason they hated Jesus. Did they hate Jesus because he was Jesus? Or did they hate Jesus because of the message? That he called their sin out. That he called them to judgment. That he called them to repentance. People don't like to be reminded of their sin. They don't like to be reminded of their junk. I don't like to be reminded of my junk. Every now and then Angela and I will be fussing and she'll look at me and she'll go, all right, Pastor. I don't want to be reminded of my junk. But at the end of the day, we are called to stand and recognize that it's not the suffering that we're going through isn't some weird experience exclusive only to you. He says in verse 12, oh no, verse, yeah, verse 12, which comes upon you for testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Ain't nothing strange happening to you. Same thing happened to you, happened to Christians before you. Same thing happened to them, happened to the Christians before them. All the way back to biblical times, obviously, or Peter wouldn't be writing this, this lesson. All the way back to Old Testament times, because they already were normative behaviors experienced by the prophets. Our responsibility is to recognize that it's just our job, it's our responsibility to endure the suffering. Endure the suffering. There's a, there's a significant parallel between our willingness to suffer and our re- eternal reward. Let me, let me explain that. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 says this. By faith, which means even though he couldn't see what he was moving toward, Moses, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. Do you know why Moses suffered? The reason he struggled? Because he didn't want to be seen as a reproach to Christ. He didn't want to be seen as mind's going blank because he didn't he didn't want to say he didn't know Christ specifically and who he was but he wanted to live according to his faith he needed people to understand that he was willing to suffer to get to his hope to recognize that there's an eternal reward he was looking forward to his reward imagine living a life 40 years long hearing a calling of God on your life making a mistake because you misinterpreted that calling run into the desert for another 40 years and not finding your purpose till you're 80 years old. And then finding your purpose and then wandering around in the desert with a disobedient people for another 40 years after that. 120 years before he finally got to where God was calling him and then never got to go. You know why he did that? You know why he suffered for 120 years? Because he had a hope that what was coming is greater than what he was dealing with. That's where we should look. That's where we should rest. We should recognize that nothing weird is happening to us. Nothing outside the bounds of expectation are happening to us. God calls us to this. In faith, we walk in it. 
so that we can get to it. Amen? Jesus says this to the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2, and I think it's something we should hold on to. 2.10, he says this, and I want you to hear this clearly. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. I struggle with these suffering sermons for one reason. Not because I'm scared to preach them, but because I don't want you to give a false get a false idea that we're already suffering. We still live in a blessed land. We still don't see the suffering that we're going to see. I think it's a matter of time before the country we know isn't the country we live in. We're heading too south too fast. And so when I say just continue to suffer, what I mean is prepare to suffer. And I want you, and the reason we declare this message so loudly is because I want you to, I want you to make those decisions right now. Because any decision that you make in the heat of the moment will always be the wrong decision. It's the reason why we cast vision for our personal life. Where do we want to go? What do we want to do? What do we want to accomplish? Because if I make that decision beforehand, when the time comes to make that decision, I've already made it, and I can continue to move forward. We're not suffering now, but it's a matter of time, I think, before we do. If this, I mentioned just momentarily the Equality Act. The Equality Act is supposed to level the playing field for all thoughts, beliefs, and patterns. What it's going to do is it's going to destroy and make criminal the declaration of the truth. Because the declaration of the truth is exclusive. It's not inclusive. This is what it says it is. If you don't agree with this, you're going to hell. That's as exclusive as you can get. Well, the Equality Act says that we shouldn't be able to talk like that, that everybody's opinion is their own truth, and it can, you can be prosecuted right at the time of the passing. It will be um, not criminally prosecuted, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Civilly prosecuted. But if they make something civilly prosecutable, it's a matter of time before they make it criminally prosecutable. And if they make it civilly prosecutable, it's a matter of time before four or five people put a lawsuit on every church in America and beat them into litigation, bankrupt them, and we're going back to home churches, which is fine because we're going to declare the truth regardless. That's the suffering that we're heading towards. That's, a, that's the fight that we're fighting. We're trying to fight. It's not a left or right fight. It's a fight for the truth. And at the time that we decide that we're going to stand for the truth, we will suffer. And Revelation 2.10 says this, Do not fear for what you are about to suffer. And so I say the same thing to you. Do not fear for what you are about to suffer. Jesus Christ is bigger than your suffering. Jesus Christ, according to Isaiah 53, dealt with more suffering than if they set you on fire like they did to the early Christians. 
you will have not endured the suffering that Christ endured. And I'm not even talking about the cross. I'm just talking about coming out of heaven and humbling himself to walk around the earth. And if Jesus Christ's suffering is worth our suffering, then we need not fear the suffering that is going to come upon us. Ah, what? Just the way it is. Revelation 2.10 Do not fear for what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you'll preach from prison. Preach from prison. I almost went on a tangent. I think I've already gone on a tangent. Some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for ten days. But be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. I could, I, I could drop the mic and walk away. Endure your suffering. It's coming. So my life's pretty hard right now. Right now, your life may be hard, but your life is hard right now. More likely because of the stupid, non-biblical decisions you're making. You don't know suffering from a prosecutorial politician or political environment or an anti-Christian culture. But it's a matter of time, I think, before we get there. It's a matter of time before we have to make a decision. Are we going to be faithful even unto death? so that we may receive the crown of life. Suffering is about suffering. Suffering is never about suffering. Suffering is about hope. Suffering's coming. Nothing you can do about it. Be prepared and ready for it. But don't just be prepared and ready for it because there's a hope. Celebrate it. Celebrate your suffering. Let me, let me read this to you. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. Not cursed. You're not cursed for being persecuted. You're blessed for being persecuted. Who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. What did he say in verse 12? Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. I feel like I could say this a hundred times because we don't do that. We walk around all, man, my life's just horrible. It's not near as horrible as it could be, but your hope should cause you to rejoice even if it is as horrible as it could be. Because the Bible tells us that we're blessed. One of the one of my favorite scriptures in, the, in, in all of the Bible in regard to this subject is out of Acts 5.41. And I, I've just got the text typed out. Let me, let me read it to you. Peter had just been flogged, and some of the apostles had just been flogged, beaten by the council, by the Sanhedrin. And 5.41 says this. I'm going to start in 40. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. So these political fanatics, these people that didn't understand who Jesus was, they rejected the Christ, beat the apostles, 
flog them, release them and say, don't you ever talk about Jesus in this town again. They just got beat. 90% of the church today would be all, well, you bet I ain't talking about Jesus again. But what did these do? These, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And that's powerful, isn't it? If you really think, I mean, flogging is supposed to be one stripe past or below the penalty of death. So, how many stripes? Jesus took 39 stripes on his back, right? 39 stripes on his back. That was the non-lethal number. The death sentence, if you will, was 40 stripes or more because it it disturbed, it, it wrecked the body so bad that they figured at 40 stripes, it's going to kill a man. So something beyond 40, probably not less than 30, Peter and the apostles took on their back and then left there celebrating the fact that they got to suffer for Jesus and, and in the face of that council, because the council didn't leave and the council was still watching them, they still preached the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They preached Jesus as the Christ, regardless. Don't just suffer. Don't just endure your suffering. Who wants to live a life of endurance? Suffering's horrible. We need to learn to celebrate in our suffering because in our suffering there is hope. There is expectation. Our character is built. All those things. And hope does not disappoint. Amen? But if you suffer, mind your suffering. I'm already past time. Mind your suffering. I'm going to wind this up. Verse 14 and 15 say this. I've really gone back to the last point several times. But in this text, verse 14 and 15 reads like this. If you were reviled, if you're hated for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. So he's saying, mind your suffering. Suffer for what is righteous, not what is unrighteous. I told you guys a little while ago, most of us suffer not because of something somebody's doing to us, but because of a decision that we made that just bears consequence. So he says, suffer, but suffer for the sake of righteousness. Don't suffer because you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Did you hear that? I I think it's great because I I pastor a church that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter included troublesome meddler in the list with murderers. Think that was on purpose? It was. You know what a troublesome meddler is? Somebody that calls and says, 
hey, did you hear about so-and-so? We didn't pray for her. Or what did you hear about so-and-so? I want to pray for them. I want to make sure they're okay. You don't want to make sure they're okay. You just want to get in their business. You want to stir their mud puddle up. You're not, you're not trying to affect any change in their spiritual life or try to help them any kind of way. You're a troublesome meddler. Worry about your own circle. And he includes that with murderers. 95% of the troubles inside the church would cease to exist if we learned to mind our own business. And I only say that because Peter says it. Mind your suffering. Well, nobody likes me at the church. Miss Angela didn't talk to me today. You know why Miss Angela didn't talk to you today? Because Miss Angela was talking to somebody else today. And you come up and you interrupted her. And her daddy taught her that's rude. Not because she doesn't love you. So mind your own business. And if you have a problem with somebody at the church, call them. Man, can I tell you, that, that would solve everybody's problem. I got a problem with you. Can we talk? Yes, we can. You know what? That's actually how the Bible tells us to do it. If I have a problem with Bill, I'm not going to Justin. Say, man, that Bill Wolfenberg, can you believe him, man? We need to pray for him. He's Hill Billy with a Bible or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, Bill, we need to talk, man. Let's have some coffee. If that doesn't work, then I'm still talking to Bill, but I'm going to bring somebody else along to witness the conversation. Why are we spreading somebody else's business around? You're suffering due to your own unrighteousness. The offense that you've taken up isn't because something someone's done to you, something someone has done to you, it's something you've done to yourself. So if you suffer, mind your suffering. Suffer for the same reason Christ suffered, so that we might be righteous. Suffer so that we might declare the glory of God. Suffer so that we can show Him magnificence, so that we can declare His goodness, His awesomeness, give Him the full weight and measure of who He is. That's why we suffer. So in our suffering, we suffer minding our suffering. Amen? And why do we do it? Verse 19 tells us, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Why do we trust? Why do we suffer? Because God's faithful. Because we have a hope. I told you I keep coming back to the last point, so it'll be fast. Our suffering only exists because we have a faithful Creator to whom we can entrust our souls. And I don't know about you, but I got more faith in the God that created me than any person or thing I've ever been in contact with. And if he tells me that at the end of my life, if I prepare for the suffering that's coming, even to the point of prison, even to the point of jail, even to the point of being flogged and released, my hope doesn't disappoint, then guess what? I'm going to stand on the fact that my hope doesn't disappoint. Amen?